Welcome to the Body Ecology Living Podcast. Hi, I'm Donna Gates, creator of the Body Ecology Diet. After 25 years of extensive research, observation, and studying all the different diets and healing modalities out there, I compiled all that I've learned into one healthy lifestyle. It's my mission to change the way the world eats and keep you informed about the latest health trends and news. So thank you for joining me. I have a friend, uh, uh, someone uh, who's been my friend for a couple of years, and I'm so proud of him. He's done some amazing work in the world. Um, I'm proud to know him and, and, and actually feel blessed to know him because he keeps me up on a lot of information on non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Now, you may have heard of celiac disease and you may be on a gluten-free diet, but there is a lot of cutting-edge information information about this topic of gluten sensitivity. It's not really that you have the genes for celiac disease, but you are definitely reacting to, uh, to gluten. So Dr. Tom, Dr. Tom O'Brien is our guest. He is an internationally recognized speaker. He's also a workshop leader and he specializes in non-celiac gluten sensitivity and celiac disease as they incur inside the intestines the gut, you know, that's our big topic here, and outside as well. He's the founder of thedoctor.com, and he recently hosted, uh, an, um, actually I think it was the very first of all the summits that you see out there today, Tom had the first, and it was on gluten. It was called the Gluten Summit. You can still purchase that summit. It's called theglutensummit.com. You just go to that website, and you can learn uh, a lot more information from amazing experts. So I highly recommend you do that. So right now I'd like to welcome my guest, Dr. Tom O'Brien. Hello, Donna. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for saying that you'd come on this podcast because um, I just know this is such an important topic. And you know, when you walk through the health food store, you see gluten-free signs everywhere, but it's, it's kind of um, like a marketing gimmick these days. And I don't think people you know, really get it, of course. And and also they're um, still getting gluten, even if they think they aren't, right? Yes, they are. Um, there will be a new study uh, being published in March uh, from the FDA um, uh, uh, on gluten-free foods. And it's going to show that 29% of all gluten-free foods have toxic levels of gluten in them. and But they're labeled as gluten-free. And unfortunately, they're not. Uh, there's cross-contamination and you read the label and there's nothing um, that they're using that uh, uh, contains toxic gluten, but it's cross-contamination. You know, maybe the field that the oats were growing in, there were some strands of wheat growing amongst all the oats. Uh, and when the, the farmer harvests it, uh, the wheat get mi- gets mixed in there or the trucks that harvest, uh, that transport the oats from the field to the manufacturing facility hauled wheat last week, and they don't clean the trucks. Uh, So it's a cross-contamination issue that's occurring. So um, eating gluten-free foods, uh, pastries and things like breads and things, um, is not the safest thing to do, um, unfortunately. And that that information is just really coming out now uh, more conclusively than um, in the last few years. Well, um you know, the thing is, on the body ecology diet, I don't really want people eating uh, breads, and even if they're gluten-free, they're really not healthy foods for a healthy gut. 
and uh, they're gummy, you know, and they, you chew them up, uh, let's say waffles, pancakes, bread, uh, cookies. You, so many of those are gluten-free, but I walk by them and I think, oh, I hope people understand that they're still in a flour product. And when you eat a flour product and you, you, you mix it with your saliva and it goes down, it's very gummy, you know, and it sticks in your small intestine in particular, uh, Lee. And so... Um, it's just to me the way the way to be. So now that we know that you can't trust the gluten products, are they really gluten free? I think the next step is to actually avoid flour products, and then you're, you, you know, you're just another step toward knowing that you're you're safe there. I haven't had uh, flour products in years, and I know it's made a difference in my health. So I, I hope people can evolve to that. I realize when you first move into a healthy diet, it's people are so addicted to bread and crackers and things that it's really hard to give that up. But but you can, and it's better for the gut. Well, I fully agree, you know, and uh, um, I, I usually don't recommend full abstinence from gluten-free products for people uh, uh, immediately uh, because, you know, for most of us, we're, we have to transition into a new way of uh, our food selections. And if we're so accustomed to having grains and breads and cookies and, you know, pasta uh, three, four, five, six times a week, and then mm-hmm. we try to stop cold turkey, it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if one can transition uh, over a course of time, how long? Well, it depends on the person. For some people, it's a year. And I'll say to them, you know, if it takes you a year, you're, you're off gluten right now. But if it takes you a year to transition out of the gluten-free food so that it's a rare treat. Look, I have a blueberry muffin, gluten-free, maybe once every three months. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? You know, right, exactly. A, a gluten-free pasta, maybe once every six to eight weeks. I mean, I just don't eat that stuff very much. Mm-hmm. But if, if it's available in a restaurant and for an Italian restaurant, I say, you know what? I really like some pasta tonight or so mm-hmm, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do it. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But, and unfortunately with the new data that's coming out that these products, so many of them still contain toxic levels of gluten that stimulate an immune response. And when you have a toxic level, that's over 20 parts per million and you stimulate an immune response, you've produced the antibodies for three to six months from one exposure. So even wow. though even though you really don't feel the effects of it, you know, you can't tell you eat gluten-free pasta, maybe a little too much pasta in general, and you feel kind of bloated and full a little bit, but you don't feel sick from being exposed to gluten or you don't get the headaches or the chest pain or whatever your particular symptoms were on gluten products. You don't feel any of that, but the antibodies get activated, um, wherever your genetic vulnerability was. And, um, uh, as people heard on the Gluten Summit, uh, that when you and I talked on the Gluten Summit, when we talk about these exposures and how they activate an immune response, it just depends on where the genetic weak link is for that person. If it's your blood sugar regulating system and you have a toxic, toxic exposure and the antibodies get elevated, it might be to your insulin receptors. So you have blood sugar yo-yo effects for a couple of months. Or if mm. it's your brain that's the weak link in your chain, you might have elevated antibodies to myelin, just destroying some of the covering on your nerves for a few months. Uh, wow. Well, I never heard of that before, that it's months. I've always thought it was maybe 10 days or so. Is there research that shows that it oh, lingers oh, around that long? Oh, my goodness, yes. Once you activate the immune system and you, you turn on the assembly line, producing the antibodies that you're 
particular genetics and lifestyle have made you vulnerable to, that gets turned on. That system doesn't get turned off for anywhere from four to six weeks that you're producing the antibodies once it gets turned on. And the lifespan of those antibodies is anywhere from another four to six weeks. So that's three months. That's somewhere wow. between two, three months immediately if wow. it turns off right away. And if it doesn't turn off, and some people, that's more, uh, their immune systems are hypervigilant and they overreact, then they'll have it up for up to six months. You'll have elevated antibodies. Well, you know, I've actually, this is a quote from you, so I'm going to read it. It says, um, Something uh, the the gluten free diet is often not comprehensive enough to reduce the associated morbidity and mortality. Now that's like heavy. You mean yes. somebody is sitting there thinking, "What?" I mean, first of all, I eat gluten, and it lasts for you know the effects of it last for months. Yes, and and also it's associated with morbidity and mortality. That's death. Uh, why would you say something like that? Yes, uh, this is the mechanism that morbidity is the process of getting sick. Now, let's use the example of your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, now, it could be your heart, your blood sugar regulating system, your joints. It could be rheumatoid arthritis. But let's use the brain as the weak link in your chain. And what do I mean by that? You pull at a chain, the chain breaks at the weakest link. It's at one end, the middle, the other end. It's your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidneys. Wherever your genetic weak link is, when you pull at the chain, that's where you're, you're going to have the effect. And what's the pull on the chain? The pull on the chain is inflammation in the body. That's the pull. And so if you eat a food that your body's sensitive to and you're producing antibodies, the antibodies cause inflammation. And so it's pulling at the chain. The weak link in the chain is your brain for the discussion that we're going to have now. So you pull at the chain and you make more antibodies to your cerebellum if that's the weak link in your chain. And somewhere between 24 26% of people with gluten sensitivity have elevated antibodies to their cerebellum. That's what the studies show. That's your brain. That's the part of the brain that controls your, your muscle movement and your balance. That's why elders, so many elders, can't walk gingerly up and down the stairs when they, they, they don't have weak muscles. They have to be careful and hold on to the railing because they don't have balance. They don't have the control. That's coming from a cerebellum that's been shrinking over the years. So you make antibodies to your cerebellum. That's the weak link in this example. And what happens is those antibodies kill off your cerebellar tissue. It causes, and I'm, I'm going to make up a number. I don't know the number. Let's assume you have 400 million cells in, that, that make up the cerebellum. Mm-hmm. That's probably a big number. Let's say, let's say it's, it's uh, one, 100 million cells. Well, you've got many more mitochondria in all those cells. So that's probably, they're probably definitely being affected, those little exactly. energy factories. So exactly. I think and we can so, use a high number. Okay. And so let's say that you, you um, have an exposure to a toxic level of gluten. You've been off gluten for a while, but you have an exposure like a uh, blueberry muffin that's got um, toxic levels of gluten in it from because of con- contamination. And you, um, activate your immune system. Your immune system is now producing antibodies to cerebellum. That's the weak link for you. And those antibodies for anywhere from two, three to six months are uh, killing off cerebellar cells. They don't come back. And let's say you have 100 million cells and maybe in that six-month period, you knock out 4,000. Hmm. Okay, but what about the next six-month period or, or the next exposure you have? another 4,000 cells. And I'm making up the number. I don't know what the numbers are for that. Mm -hmm. But over the years, it accumulates and you're killing off your cerebellum. You're killing off your cerebellum. 
you're killing off your cerebellum until you kill off so many cells that now the cerebellum can't keep your balance for you as well as if now you're in your 60s or 70s and you have to be careful walking up the stairs because you stumble easily. You don't have balance. Nobody gets Alzheimer's in their 70s. You get Alzheimer's in your 30s. It just takes decades of killing off those brain cells before the symptoms are obvious. All our scientists know that Alzheimer's is a decades-long process. Rheumatoid arthritis is a decades-long process. Lupus is a decades-long process. These autoimmune diseases that we get are going on for years before you ever get symptoms. You know, I guess you could say it literally starts in the womb. I, I Actually, what, what popped in my head just now was we're talking about elderly people, but what about a woman who's pregnant? She's got a baby forming inside of her, which is a massive time for brain development, you know, from conception after the baby's born up to two years old. And then, you know, teenagers, like I, it's like an an age group that just hurt. It hurts me to look at them, the way they're eating and drinking and smoking pot and all the stuff they're doing. And it is another massive time of important time of brain development. Um, They don't have the wisdom yet to, um, you know, to know until they probably are in their mid-20s or so. But, um, you know, the, what is there research? Have you found research on, on this with, you know, those periods in our life when our brain's developing? Absolutely. Let me give you an example that'll be shocking for all the listeners. Shocking. Oh, good. I hope we're it, not depressing everybody here. But no, I, no, listen. Ma- look, maybe look, look, that's what people need to get serious because yeah, people yeah. are so flippant and think, oh, that's, you know, I'll, I'll do that you next have, week. You have to wake up. Wake yeah. up. Now, so here's one example, one example of many. In Sweden, they have socialized medicine. They have records on everybody. Mm -hmm, Right. And uh, at birth, they poke a newborn's finger and get a drop of blood and put that drop of blood on a card, and they dry the drop of blood. They keep the card. They've got 30 Mm -hmm. million cards. Mm -hmm. They've they've been doing this for dececades. They've got 30 Mm -hmm. million cards or more. I, don't, I actually don't know how many, but there's millions and millions and millions of cards. Mm-hmm. They looked at people currently diagnosed with schizophrenia in their 30s and 40s. So that's a brain dysfunction disease. And there are many studies that show for some people, you reverse schizophrenia on a gluten-free diet. There are many studies on that. But in this study, they took people currently diagnosed with schizophrenia, and they went back and they looked at that drop of blood at that person's birth. 30 or 40 years ago. And now they have the technology and they look to see were there elevated levels of antibodies to the gluten peptide called gliadin, which is the most common blood test that's done, gliadin. So were there elevated antibodies to gliadin in this schizophrenic person, currently schizophrenic, when that person was born? What did they find? Well, (laughs) now, newborns don't make antibodies. You don't make antibodies in, in, your fe- in, in the fetus, and you don't make antibodies until about six months of life. You start after birth, and it takes about six months to get them up and running. So if you've got ant- elevated antibodies in your blood at birth, they came from mom. Now, mm-hmm. why would mom be giving antibodies to the baby? That starts in the eighth month of pregnancy. And what mom's body is doing, they're called IgG antibodies. There are five different types, but IgG antibodies go from mom's blood into the baby at uh, eight months, from eight to nine months. Why? Okay, baby, you're about to come out in the world. 
we've got cats at home. They're nice cats. Here's some antibodies so your body doesn't freak out to cats. Or we live in the woods and there's lots of leaves that decay so there's mold in the air. Don't worry about it. Here's some antibodies to mold to protect you when you come out into the world. It's a beautiful system that we wouldn't be here if we didn't have that system. And what, is, you know, what world is baby about to come out into? Mom's world. So mom is prepping baby's immune system to recognize and to have a little defense so the immune system doesn't overreact or the body doesn't get assaulted by mold when the baby comes home and breathes the air when there's mold spores in the air. It's a beautiful system. Mm-hmm. So in this case, they were looking to see were there any of mom's antibodies to gluten in these current schizophrenics blood at birth. What did they find? If baby was in the top 10% of antibodies to gluten at birth, that baby had a 70% increased likelihood of developing schizophrenia 30 to 40 years later. If baby was in the top 5% of antibodies to gluten that they'd gotten from mom, that baby had a 240% increased risk of developing schizophrenia 30 to 40 years later. There had never been a study like this done before. It just dropped everybody's jaw to see the effect of a food sensitivity in mom, how it impacts on the development of the offspring's brain over the next 30 to 40 years. Mm, So here's, here's the takeaway from this. All women of childbearing age, especially those that have a family history of a mental disorder of any type, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, autism, autism, all women of childbearing age get tested accurately to see, do I have a sensitivity to gluten? Because if you're thinking about having a baby, you want to get those antibodies out of there before you get pregnant Mm. because the brain and the nervous system begins to develop right after the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So in the first trimester, that brain's developing, and nobody knows where the effect is on brain development that can manifest 30 to 40 years later. Well, can I tell a little story right here? I hope I don't want to just, you know, like throw you off track, but um, I took an embryology course, and one of the things that happened in that course is we watched the embryo develop over and over and over again, a whole bunch of times. And after I watched it for a while, I started to, you know, something jumped out at me. Um, As soon as the egg is fertilized by the sperm, the first thing that happens is this little black line shows up in the very middle of the egg. And then suddenly, there's a little pause, and then suddenly the one line splits into two lines. And then those lines, after a little pause, turn upside down. And just like you said, um, the heart and then the brain come off of those two lines, like first the heart and then the brain comes off of that. But then go back to when there was just one line and it divided into two lines, that what it divided into, the one divided into, was uh, one line became the gut, the, the gut, you know, would, would develop, go on and form the gut, and the other line formed the brain and the nervous system. So that was like so fascinating to me when I just suddenly got caught that is that um oh my gosh we always say there's this connection between the brain and the gut well look it shows up instantaneously at conception um so um 
So what you're saying about the brain and the blood, blood spot test and what they found and everything is probably uh, they could duplicate that with gut, gut stuff. That's beautiful. That, I didn't know that. And that is just a beautiful connection because, as you know, and what we talk about in your um, summit, your upcoming summit, is how uh, a whole new science developed in 2007. And the first courses were offered, which now are offered at many universities on the field of enteric neuroscience, which is how the gut affects and controls the brain. That the number of nerve hormones called neurotransmitters that we make in our brain is controlled by the bacteria in our gut. And the way those nerve hormones function is controlled by the bacteria in our gut. And when you have bacteria that is not as it's supposed to be in the gut, which is why your summit is so critically important that people listen to and understand, when you have bacteria that shouldn't be there, it's critical. You can't just deal with the brain dysfunction a person has. You have to recognize that the, you have to deal with the brain dysfunction, the depression, anxiety, the brain fog, the autism, the attention deficit, whatever it is, the seizures, you have to deal with it directly, but you also have to understand that the control mechanisms are coming from the gut. Now, here's a paper that I wanted to reference today for your people that they can um, uh, uh, hear about. They looked at um, uh, children um, diagnosed with celiac disease and they look to see what kind of bacteria do these kids have in their gut. And, uh, and they did a, a very sophisticated analysis of that. And they looked at um, uh, kids that did not have gluten sensitivity and the kids that, that did have a gluten sensitivity. And what did they find? What the, they looked at 45 kids with celiac disease and 18 kids that did not have any um, uh, gluten sensitivity. And this is in the American Journal of Gastroenterology in 2009. And what they found in that study was that the bacteria in the gut was completely different, not just a little bit different, completely different between those that had celiac disease and those that did not. And those that did have this gluten sensitivity manifesting in the gut what did they find with those people? They were just shocked at what they found, that the types of bacteria that um, uh, they found there were completely different. There were 35 sequences of bacteria completely different from all previously known bacterial sequences. They had never seen anything like this before. And it was in the guts of all the kids with celiac disease. There were types of clostridium that had never been recognized ever in humans before, or types of Prevotella, which is another bacteria that had never been recognized. There was no record of it ever being identified in humans before. And well, they, well, were these bacteria that had mutated because of the yeah, diet exactly. and the gluten exactly. and so on? They had literally mutated? Exactly. They, they were mutations that they... The, the, they didn't come from the food. They came from the food, the gluten, the food's effect on the gut. 
and it's altering the, 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 the genetic structure is the theory of what happened. The, the, the genes of the bacteria were altered and they mutated. In a total, there were 42 different genus level, for those that are more technically oriented, genus level operational taxonomic units, which means 42 different types of bacteria that were detected in celiac kids, 30 of them not previously described to be in the swollen intestine in humans, and 18 of those 42 were unknown. They had never been identified in humans before. You know, this is so important and so fascinating because um, I've been working for about six years with a colon therapist here in L.A., and um, so he's done over 30,000 colonics, and he um, has like a camera right on the view tube. So every time somebody releases a parasite, he snaps a picture of it. So he has thousands and thousands of pictures of these very strange things coming out of people, and every single person has them in them. And some people call them rope worms. We have three... Uh, talks on the Healthy Gut Summit on parasites, because it's a topic that when Anne Louise Gittleman wrote her book years ago, people were talking a lot about parasites. Uh, she's on. She's one of our experts, um, Leo Gallen, another expert. He's been into parasites for 30 years or so. Yes. But you know, you don't hear people talking about it. But I, I've been wondering, as I've been watching these beautiful people, he has a lot of famous actresses and Victoria's Secrets models and actors on TV shows. A lot, he has a you know, a lot of very fit people, yoga instructors, and, and they're, um, they take great care of themselves. Most of them are on the diet and they, they um, eat fermented foods and all. But they have these, these you know, because of the th- uh, particular method that he uses, it's a soaking method, so he hydrates the person really well and they come more often. So they start releasing these. Um, it, it really, I, I was the one who sort of put words in his mouth to explain what it was for him because he didn't know. And I said, look, Luis, that's a um, biofilm. That's in, and in that biofilm is this obviously very clear rope-like worm and uh, smaller types of parasites and all as well. And so then the next question becomes is, where, well, people never saw this like this before. I'm talking about everybody has them and they have a lot of them and they feel totally different when they get rid of them. So, um, and I, I even had a talk with Jeff Smith about this because, uh, you know, he's the GMO expert. I said, you know, Jeffrey, do you think that uh, it's the GMOs that people are using. They're mutating something in the gut. So this is so fascinating what you're saying to me because I've sort of been on the hunt for the truth about this for a right, while now. Right. And, and, and is, so we're mutating stuff in our gut. That's exactly right. And this is before GMOs came on the market. Uh, so this was before, um, this was in 2009 that this paper was published and it was a continuation of a paper that the same group did in 2006. Mm-hmm. But 18 wow. species of bacteria no, there's no record of ever being identified in humans before. And it was in 39% of these kids that had a gluten sensitivity, 39% of them. And uh, he, here's the next point. A year on a gluten-free diet and 19% of them still had these species. So just going on a gluten-free diet is not enough. You have to repopulate with good mm. bacteria. You have to have a protocol that you put together to rebuild the good environment of your gut called the intestinal milieu, which is what your summit is all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, People need to understand the mechanisms here. You don't have to be technical about it in in your understanding. You just have to understand there's an OMG here. Oh, my God. Really? People have this? I've got this in me. Oh, God. Ooh, I don't even want to Mm -hmm. think about that. Mm -hmm. Well, you do have to think about it. 
Mm-hmm. And But you, you don't have to study it in detail and see all the pictures. I mean, I've got all the pictures of this stuff, and it's just gross to look at this stuff. But you, you, you have to know if you want to get it out of you. Now, remember what I said earlier, enteric neuroscience is that this bacteria controls how your brain functions. Well, I think we've made a pretty clear point here that it really is associated with morbidity and mortality. You know, yes. when, I, when I first you know, read that, I thought, wow, that's pretty heavy duty. Let's go into that today. But I think we've covered that quite well. Well, our time is up. I, I really want to have people kind of have a sense of who you are and what you have to offer. The Gut Summit is pretty extraordinary. I'm very proud of it because every single one of the experts on there is offering priceless information. And, you know, I, I, I know people can't remember everything, obviously. I mean, I don't. I listen to talks like this over and over and over again because every time I do, whether it's three days in a row or, you know, I, I come back to it two or three weeks later, I, I always pick up something anew I didn't notice before. And, and you know, this morning, Tom, since I knew we were going to be talking, I started, you know, popping. Uh, I, I have the Gluten Summit, of course, and I picked a few of the lectures, and I just kind of laid in bed early this morning and listened to some of them. And it's the same thing. Like, I, I didn't remember. I picked up things I had didn't hear the first time or the second or the third time I listened. And I just want people to know that we have never had an opportunity. It seems like there's a lot of summits these days being offered. Maybe people are thinking, oh, my gosh, another summit. But but uh, there has never been such an extraordinary opportunity to learn, to get this vast amount of information that we all hold in our heads out to people. And I hope people are, you know, instead of resenting this up, you know, wow, this is filling up my mailbox and all these, I hope they're taking the time to listen to them. And that's why really you need to purchase them. And they're, they're amazingly well-priced for the information. This is information that doctors never had in medical school. And you're talking with the best of the best. Uh, so that's just my plug for selling our summits, but I, I'm doing this. I know you are too, because we're so passionate about helping people and we know we have priceless information. So I just want to thank you for taking time. I know you're super busy and taking this time this to, this morning and sharing this, but just it's new information. Everybody, you've got to stay up on it. And, you know, someone like Dr. Tom O'Brien, he's really the expert in this field. So thank you, Tom, for being here. Oh, Donna, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Well, everybody, thank you for listening today. If you're new to Body Ecology, please subscribe to Body Ecology Living with Donna Gates. That's me. And also feel free to leave a comment in the review section. And we always like to learn what you want us to talk about next. So please post a comment on Facebook. We always listen to those. We do pay attention to what you're requesting. And I just want to wish you a very happy day. Thank you.